Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Nice to be here this evening. Great to uh, see you all again. And uh, as Heather said, we're up to chapter 20 of John's Gospel. Uh, As we've been following through, we're up to this great resurrection chapter. And uh, there's some wonderful things here for us to hear and see. Uh, If you've got a Bible with you, it'd be really helpful to have it open at John 20. And I want to go back into John's Gospel a little bit as well to uh, pick up some themes and uh, there is a sermon outline, I presume it got emailed around and there might be some printed copies if you'd like one and that might help you follow what I want to say as well. Let's pray as we come to hear God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would pour out your spirit on us now. Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd be present with us, speaking by your Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you might fill us. Help us not only to understand what you say in your word, but to believe it and rejoice in it and live it out. And we pray this in the name of our Saviour, Jesus. Amen. Well, my wife Liz and I have had a few big projects on this year. Uh, Earlier in the year, our daughter got married, so that's a big project. Then we've been doing some renovations and building uh, at our place. And then just in the last week or so, uh, moving Liz's mum, my mother-in-law, in in to live with us. That was what the building project was about. And each of those projects took plenty of planning and work and came with plenty of anticipation, Uh, certainly the wedding, you know, waiting for that wedding day finally to arrive, Uh, watching each stage of the building taking place and then of course uh, last Friday when Liz's mum actually moved in. But it did strike me, uh, thinking about it, especially at, at the end of this week, that each of those big projects kind of comes with a question when you get there what happens next? I'm sure you know the experience. You spend months and months building up to something. And in one sense, you know that it's about where things are going. But when you finally get there, there's the question, well, what do we do now? How's it going to work out? Now, reading John's Gospel actually should be like that. We've been following God's big plan of what he's going to do with Jesus. Jesus has come to bring God to the world and bring God's life and light. And you might remember that a few times through John's Gospel, Jesus has spoken about his time or his hour. And to begin with, he said, my time has not yet come. It's not yet the moment. But then in chapter 12, things change. If you've got your Bible there and you turn back to chapter 12... Uh, the, the trigger for it is some Gentiles coming, looking for Jesus. And Jesus in verse 23 says, The hour has come. Chapter 12, verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so Jesus says, the time has come for me to be glorified, but what does that mean? It means he's going to die. Uh, the, the kernel of wheat has to fall into the ground and die. And, and at that point, John, the gospel writer, really slows down the action. I mean, it's taken 12 chapters to cover the whole of Jesus' life, or at least all of his ministry. He then takes another eight chapters to get us to chapter, to chapter 20 with the resurrection. So eight chapters on the last week of Jesus' life as John takes us through the trial. And before that, Jesus' farewell, and then the trial, and then the crucifixion. And of course, as Jesus dies on the cross, he says, it is finished. So the whole story has been taking us to this moment of glory when Jesus dies, when it is finished, that's his goal, that's his purpose. Now in chapter 20, it's happened, and the question is, well, what next? Now, I'm not sure the disciples were asking that question. They seem to be just completely shell-shocked. They've got no thought that there's anything next. They just can't get over the fact that they've seen Jesus crucified. But we, who've read, who are reading along in the Gospel, we certainly should be asking, well, what's going to happen now? And Jesus actually has told the disciples and us quite a bit about what will happen his uh, farewell discourse, that long speech in chapters 13 to 16, and then his amazing prayer in chapter 17, is really all about what's going to happen after his resurrection. And he focuses on two things. One, he says he will go away, that is, he will die, but he'll come back again. So, for instance, in John 16, 16, he says, "'A little while, and you will see me no longer.'" And again, in a little while, and you will see me. Now, that really puzzles the disciples. What's he talking about? They actually ask each other. And Jesus then, a few verses later, says, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Now, sometimes people suggest that what Jesus is talking about when he says he will come back again and they'll see him again is his second coming, what we call his second coming, his return in glory to bring the fullness of the kingdom. But I'm sure in chapters 14 to 16, he's talking about the resurrection. He will be gone for a little while and the disciples will mourn. But then after a little while, they'll see him again and they'll rejoice as I said, the disciples don't get it as it happens. When Jesus dies, they're not there kind of expecting something more. They're, they're shocked and, and, and overwhelmed. They weep. But Jesus has told them, joy is coming. Uh, the other thing that Jesus talks about in chapters 14 to 16 is that he will give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he even says... It's good that I go away, because unless I go away, you won't receive the Spirit. Uh, and the Spirit is not just going to be a kind of fill-in for Jesus. 
the gift of the Spirit will revolutionize their experience of God. God will dwell in them and live with them so that the Son and the Father will be with them and in them through the Spirit. So God's plan comes to this great climax with Jesus, but it's not the end. There's actually more coming. And that's exactly what happens in chapter 20. So, so what I want to do is just to follow fairly quickly through chapter 20 how, this, how the disciples discover this and then to focus on what Jesus says about what is coming next. So chapter 20 begins, as Jesus had said, with grief and tears and confusion. Mary goes to Jesus' tomb uh, in the dark. I'm sure John tells us that to emphasise the, the, the symbolism that Mary doesn't understand what's going on. And she goes there and, uh, and grieves at the tomb. And then she finds that the stone has been moved and the body's gone and all she can think of is they've taken the body. Things have just got worse. She's already seen Jesus betrayed and uh, this mock trial he's gone through and then the terrible reality of the crucifixion. But at least he was buried in a good tomb. But not even that now. They've taken the body. So she goes back to Peter and John and says they've taken the Lord Peter and John run to the tomb. They look in and, and they see the linen strips of cloth that covered Jesus' body and head lying there. And I guess they do think, well, if you're going to steal the body, you probably wouldn't take the cloth, the grave clothes off. And John at least begins to realise there's something else going on. The Gospel writer tells us, John tells us, he began to believe or he believed Although then goes on to say they still do not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So, But the light is dawning. At least they're starting, or John is starting to see something. Mary stays at the tomb, weeping. She meets the angels and still assumes that the body's been taken. Then Jesus himself is there, but not recognising him. She thinks he's the gardener. And again, this is... She says what she thinks happened. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. The only thing she can imagine is Jesus' body has been taken. But then in one word, Jesus calls her name, Mary. And she recognises who this is, she knows that it's Jesus. Now, it sort of surprises us, I guess. Jesus then says, don't hold on to me. Uh, sometimes that's translated, don't touch me, but I'm sure that's not what it means. I think we imagine Mary kind of throwing herself on him and clinging to him, finally, <laughs> so unexpectedly, in astonished relief. She's rejoicing that he's there but, but what he's saying is there's actually more to do. There's, there's more to come. There's a next. Uh, and she has a task. She knows to go back to the other disciples and tell them that she's seen Jesus and uh, tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. 
So Mary has a role in what happens next. She needs to go and tell the disciples. Then in the evening, uh, they're behind locked doors. They're still terrified of the Jewish leaders. You can imagine they're saying, well, if they killed Jesus, what, what will they do to us? Even if John has some dawning faith, the whole group is still in dark, in the dark of fear and grief. And then Jesus is there with them, alive, in the flesh. He shows them his scars. It really is him. And so, of course, they rejoice. They're overjoyed. We're told in verse 20, when they saw the Lord... Uh, this is the you know, greatest turnaround you can imagine. The day began with grief and confusion, but now there are tears of joy. In fact, you can imagine the disciples kind of crowding around Jesus, wondering, is this real? Perhaps even some at the kind of back of the crowd asking each other, are, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Is this, are we all really seeing Jesus? Uh, this is the wonderful reality of getting back a friend they thought they'd lost, but this is far greater. Jesus' resurrection is the end of the beginning and the beginning of the end. It's not just that he is back from the dead. This is the end of death. He's defeated Satan and the powers of evil. He, He was condemned as a sinner for us, but now he's been vindicated by the Father for us and us with him. And the disciples at least have get some of that. That this is the wonderful result of God's plan to save the world. And so this is the joy of, uh, of uh, the new blooms in the desert after drought or of rebuilding a city that's been devastated by bombing. This is a new start out of devastation. But, of course, there's one disciple who's missed out on that joy. That's Thomas. It wasn't enough for him that everyone else, that all of the other disciples, told him what, was hap- what had happened. He wasn't there. So they say to him, we saw him, Jesus is back from the dead, but Thomas digs in and says, unless I see his hands and the marks of the nails, and I place my finger into the marks of the nails, and I place my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe. Now, I think we can be sympathetic with Thomas in some ways. Uh, the idea that Jesus has come back from the dead is quite crazy. <laughs> Imagine hearing that. How can he possibly believe it? And yet, on the other hand, he did see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And he heard Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. And now he has all of these other disciples who've been with him for th- together for three years with Jesus saying, we've seen him, but he won't believe. So he has to wait a week, but then in the same room, Jesus appears again and he says to Thomas, see and touch. Here are the scars in my hands and my side. It really is me. You saw me die, and now see I am alive. And Thomas is as good as his word. He believes. 
fact, he has that great confession, my Lord and my God. Thomas's questions and doubts are not because it didn't matter to him whether Jesus had risen from the dead. And it's not that he's a sort of hard-bitten sceptic who just wouldn't believe whatever evidence he was given. It's because he knew it mattered so much. If Jesus really had risen, then Jesus was his Lord and his God. Everything had changed. The world was completely different. And now he discovers he has risen. And it, now the change that's taken place it is clear when we go back and look a bit more carefully at what Jesus says about what will happen next. And, and through the chapter, and especially on that first night when Jesus met his disciples, Jesus says, talks about four things that are going to happen. Four things about the next. And each of those four things leaves us with a question. So first of all, Jesus said he will return to the Father. He tells Mary not to cling to him because he's returning to the Father and he tells her that that's what he needs to, she needs to tell the disciples. Tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Uh, the resurrection is big news, but there's actually more to come. Jesus has completed his mission, and now he returns, or he's about to return, to the Father from whom he came. So we see this, uh, say, in John 17, where Jesus is praying. And John 17, verse 4, praying to the Father, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So it's a bit like a, you know, lots of books or movies where the hero goes on a great quest and goes off and does his mission and at the end he returns home to where he was. He's achieved his goal and he comes home. But even in those books or movies, uh, there is more at the end than there was at the beginning. Something's been achieved and something has changed and that's certainly the case with Jesus. What has happened is that the, the word who made the world has taken on flesh, has become human, has lived the life that we live with us and for us. And now he returns to the Father, still incarnate, in the flesh, still human, representing us. And in a way, taking us with him. So that we now come to glory with him. We now come into the presence of of God. His glory is our glory and his status is our status and where we had been excluded from God, we're now welcome and in God's presence. And I think you see that in what Jesus says to Mary when for the first time he calls the disciples 
his brothers. He hasn't ever said that before, but now he says, go and tell my brothers. And he, and he says, tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, my God and your God. And again, he has never said that before. Jesus' task was to bring God to the sinners and bring, the sinner, bring sinners to God. And that's about to reach completion as he returns to glory for us sinners. And now his God is our God. And his Father is our Father. So, so the first part of the next is Jesus will return to the Father. And I think that's asked us a question about our confidence. Do, do you understand? Do you realise that you share now in Jesus' victory and Jesus' glory? And do you live with a confidence, not in yourself and your own abilities and your own achievements, but the confidence that Jesus is Lord? And you belong to him. Well, the second thing that Jesus talks about is the blessings of salvation. You notice when Jesus greets his disciples in the room, he says to them, peace. In fact, twice he says that. Peace be with you. And then when he meets Thomas, the same thing he, say, he says again. Peace be with you. Now, that peace be with you, it could be a normal greeting. In a way, it's a bit like a way of saying g'day. But again, Jesus has never used that greeting with his disciples until then. He did in the farewell say, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And I think we're meant to see this is not just a normal greeting. This is Jesus' benediction. This is his blessing on them. This is his announcement. And, and peace in the Bible is not just about calm or quiet or the kind of no war happening. It's, it's very positive. It's about blessing and prosperity and rich relationships. And so Jesus is saying, now you are at peace with God and he is bringing the world to peace. Or you see another aspect of that when he says to his disciples in verse 23, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. Now how can his disciples do that? Well, it's because Jesus has brought forgiveness. His life and his death and resurrection have dealt with the problem of our rebellion and our wrongs have been wiped clean. Or, or another way to say it is the way... The Gospel writer says it in verse 31. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Like, like peace, uh, life, especially in John's Gospel, is not just kind of biological existence. It just doesn't mean just kind of keeping on breathing and eating or something like that. Life comes from God. And to have life is to be with God in his presence, knowing him. And, and so Jesus names the great 
blessings of salvation. Peace, forgiveness, life. That, that's what is next. John's Gospel, like the rest of the Bible, but especially John's Gospel, I think, has really has one big message. It's Jesus. Look at him. Believe in him. That's what John says. That's why I've written this, that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of, the Son of God, the, the Christ, and have life in his name. So I think that raises a question for us about, you could, you could say it's a question about joy. How is it that the New Testament calls on Christians to rejoice whatever happens, whatever our circumstances? Well, it's because we know that all that we need and want is given to us in Jesus. And so we might ask that whether our own daily lives and our own worship together resonates with that kind of joy that we recognise that all we need is ours through him or we might ask with the, start with the questions that Ray asked as we were praying uh, where he talked about you know, we can be real because we aren't defined by our own sin or other people's sin and what other people have done to us, that, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Peace, forgiveness, life. Is, is that the way we live? Well, there's more next to come. Uh, just as Mary has had a task, the apostles have a task as well. Jesus passes on the work, work. They're to continue in his mission. He says to them, as the Father sent me, now I send you. So as Jesus returns to the Father, he sends his disciples out to do the work that he has just been doing. Now they're to live in the world as God's people. Now they are to speak God's word the way he did. Now they're to do God's work the way Jesus did. In fact, as we saw, they can forgive people, just like Jesus did with his authority. Which is quite amazing, isn't it? Uh, you know, in, in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus says, no one can forgive sins except God alone. And now he says to his, uh, to his disciples, you can forgive sins. Of course, this is not on their own authority. It's because he has finished his work. And is returning to the Father and has sent them with his authority. Now, I think it is important to see that this is, first of all, for the apostles. That's key to the structure of Christianity and the Bible and the church. That Jesus appoints and sends apostles with his authority. And we are only connected to Jesus because we're connected to the apostles. But because we are connected to Jesus through the apostles, what Jesus says to the apostles is also true of us in a sense. It's not just they who are sent into the world, but the, the whole church is sent by Jesus to be his witnesses and to work for him with his authority. 
And so what is next is not just us receiving the blessings of salvation. We're part of what Jesus is doing based on what he's already done. And so I think that asks us the question, are we living as sent people? Seems to me that can go wrong in two ways, or at least two ways. One is we can be running away and hiding rather than in the world for Jesus. We could be more turned in on ourselves and our Christian fellowship and our Christian friends rather than turned out to the world. Or we might be very much involved in the world around us, but not for Jesus. We're not living as people who are sent by him with a task. We're focused on our own ambitions and our own goals, not his mission. Are we living as sent people? Well, finally, Jesus gives the Spirit. In his farewell, he'd promised that he would send the Spirit, another counsellor, to be with them, to give them life, to give them joy, to enable them to bear fruit and to be witnesses for him. And now he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathes on them. And I'm sure we're meant to hear the echo of Genesis 2. That's why we read Genesis 2 as well. That after God creates Adam, he breathed life into him. And then sent him into the garden to work for him. And and so now in the new creation, Jesus breathes the spirit of life onto his disciples. Now these words are fulfilled a month or so later at Pentecost. For the apostles, the Spirit enables them to be witnesses for Christ. But again, it's not only for them, but for the whole church. When Jesus leaves, he doesn't leave us alone. In fact, just the opposite. The Father and Son come and live with us by their Spirit, so we know him, the triune God. We're not just sent with Jesus' authority, We're also sent with his power and his presence. And so I think it leaves us the question, are we? Is life filled with the presence and power of Jesus by his spirit? I think lots of us are good at looking back and we should look back to Jesus' death and resurrection. But perhaps not as good at being aware of life in the spirit Now, are you seeking to keep in step with the Spirit? Praying to know his power and his presence. So what John 20 shows us is that life after Jesus' death and resurrection is huge. We now live in the resurrection age. We're part of this. Jesus has returned to the Father for us, so we're present with God. He has given us the blessings of salvation, of forgiveness and peace and life. He sent us to serve as his witnesses. And for all of that, he's given us his spirit. Now, for the disciples in John 20, that's just opening up. That's that's next. But, of course, we need to realise their next is our now. 
that's what we live in. But we don't always realise it, partly because we live in a very secular world in which life is very much determined and shaped by the human, by the material, by the observable realities, and often that's all we see. We focus on work and the hope of holidays and the jobs we've got and then politics and sport and family and medical conditions and what's on the TV and, you know, all those things good, important. But John 20 tells us we live in a bigger reality, far richer and more exciting. And, and that actually fills all those other everyday activities with wonder and glory. But, but if you only focus on the immediate and just think about life in those kind of secular terms, that's all you'll see. But John 20 invites us to look, as it were, at, at the horizon that the resurrection opens up for us, to see this bigger, greater reality. Jesus has risen and rules now with the Father, and we share in his glory and his peace, and we live in this world sent by him, filled by his spirit. And that's what changed everything for the disciples. That's what changes everything for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you. Uh, you are our Lord and our God. We thank you for your life and death and resurrection. We thank you that in your resurrection you've overcome death and sin and evil. We praise you that you've returned to the Father and taken us with you so that we even now by faith see your glory and we live in the presence of you, the triune God. We thank you for those blessings of peace and life. We thank you you forgive us. We thank you that you send us to work for you and give us your spirit. Help us as we go into another week uh, to look beyond the immediate concerns and demands and to live out resurrection life with you. And we pray it in your name. Amen.